Hi, this is Derek Tracy. And this is Tony O'Dowd. And winter is coming. There's a blizzard coming on How I'm wishing I was home For my pony's lame And he can't hardly stand Listen to that norther sigh If we don't get home, we'll die But it's only seven miles to Marianne It's only seven miles to Marianne You can bet we're on her mind For it's nearly supper time And I'll bet there's hot biscuits in the pan Lord, my hands feel like they're froze And there's a numbness in my toes But it's only five more miles to Marion Welcome to Tales from the East End, episode 42 I am not Gary Parsons And I am not in Johnny Blue's bar But fear not, I'm not going solo We have Gary on the line here from snowy Lucan where we are currently snowed in and uh, full of lovely alcohol that we've gotten from Cario Petty Hill who still sponsors and Peachtree East who still sponsors who are currently closed at the moment so don't try down and get some lovely grub because you will not get any you just get frostbite so we thought we could give you a Rovers fix for the week even though we have no game on uh, Saturday so like the prof said miles apart but we're still giving you a fix yeah, Gary's trapped him, Lucan. Couldn't make it out to Crumman, Johnny Bulls today. Yeah, so the show nearly fell victim to the beast from the east. Hashtag Schnockta. Hashtag Snowmageddon. Hashtag Snowmageddon. The beasts from the east, Dan. As you see, yeah. we, we interviewed Lukey Burn uh, the other day. We got some great, some chilling stories from him. Yeah, I saw your snowman. It was fantastic. <laughs> Which was then attacked by teenagers. I had to chase off down the road. Little pups. Probably the same teenagers as the head up the Lewis. Yeah, just gangs. I know, in fairness, everybody did it when they were younger. Terrorising people with snow, but this was just all unnecessary. Poor Lukey Bourne. He's in, he's in bits now. <laughs> yeah, the Connellys did a football loves us video on the snow. No, or- no orange ball, though. Oh, uh, Carl, we got, our, we got our wish. You saw the, the orange ball in Oriel Park? Yeah, eight goals and all. Yeah, eight goals and an orange ball. Once we'll, we'll be set when we get one in Tala. It'll be fantastic. And the construction workers at Tala Stadium, they engage in some horseplay in the snow. I didn't see it. Somebody, somebody recorded it, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Um, so, so that's the stand well underway. Currently a building site and uh, quite the, the effort to get into the East End at times, isn't it? Yeah, the movement from the, the west of the East End on Friday. We'll talk more about that next week, but... Storm Emma is wreaking havoc. Just that Wheatley has a lot to answer for, doesn't she? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Poor Barney got stuck in Edinburgh with tickets for a game that was called yeah, off. Yeah, so I heard. I think that might have been... Was that Barney Senior or was that Barney Junior? not sure who was, actually. I'm not too sure, but either way, there's a Barney stuck in Edinburgh. Well, if you're, if you're snowed in over the next couple of days, as probably everyone is, I've got a game for you to play. Have a okay. shot of Pogues Whiskey. Every time someone makes a joke about summer football. <laughs> or have a, 
shot of Pogues whiskey every time you see a Snow Cooper picture on Instagram or Facebook. I think you'll last about 15 minutes. Yeah, just a picture of someone's garden. <laughs> Fair play to Robbers, though. Free slice pan with your 2018 season ticket this week. Yeah, fantastic offer. Does it have to be Brennan's, though? I think that's that's what everyone asked. They're, they're, that's, that's the thing, yeah. Brennan's are getting serious uh, coverage out of this. I thought we bring were back, bring back the batch loaf. I thought we were finished with the Brennans. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, everything Brennans is on the list of hatred, even the bread. It's a short one this week. It's uh, not much dialogue between myself and the Profo. We do have some fantastic content for you all. Profo's busy like a bee in the last week or two trying to get some content for all you hoops out there. Yeah, so as Gary says, we're not doing a normal show today. We'll talk about the Dundalk and Bray games next week when we're back in Johnny Bills. But what we do have is two really good interviews with former Roars player Paul Jammond and club photographers Bobby Bess and George Kelly. So book it in for those and we'll come back afterwards for a little chat at the end. So enjoy. So light the, so light the fire, stick the slippers on and uh, start sipping on your cans. Fantastic content coming up. But Newport's had a great run in the FA Cup. Just talk a little bit about the win over Leeds and then what was the build-up like when Spurs came to town? Oh, it was, it was it was unbelievable. The whole kind of the whole couple of weeks leading into it was um, was uh, just a bit a bit mad, a bit surreal to be honest with you. Um, you know, there was a lot of there was a lot of media presence at training. Um, you know, every time we played a game, all that anyone ever seemed to want to speak about was Spurs. Um, so it was hard for the lads to try, I suppose, get get rid of all that. Um, the Spurs talk and, and just concentrate on the league is there we've done it quite well um, we haven't done it as well since maybe um, but um, yeah it, it, was, it was good it was it, it was it was an eye opener for some people um, regarding how, how much of the world's media wanted to speak to us and I suppose the demands some of the top players have all the time um, it's probably one side of it that um, a lot of lads wouldn't wouldn't uh, be happy with it if they were was one of the top players like one of the Spurs lads I mean but the whole look the whole build up was brilliant we really enjoyed it at all and we enjoyed the first game as well but, you know, we enjoyed the second game but you don't enjoy it as much when you don't get a good result over there um, but still it's, it's great to be able to look back and see how well Spurs are doing at the minute and you know over the last the last four or five six games they've had I think they've said Man United, Liverpool, Arsenal, um, Juventus, and you know we pro- we probably caused them as much trouble as in the first game as, as any of those teams did. Describe that goal because I think you'll remember that for as long as you live. Yeah, it was um, <laughs> it, was, it was an unbelievable moment. Um, if I'm going to be very very selfish about things, I'm, I was devastated when they scored the equaliser because I wanted. I wanted to be known as the person who scored the winner against Spurs in the FA Cup and probably the biggest shock in the, in the competition's history. Um, you know, when the ball... You know, you, you, you kind of think you always have a chance. You're always going to get a chance. You're just hoping you're going to take it. Um, and the ball was, was a long throw in. It was nodded out. And Robbie Wilmer just put a good ball into the back post. And I just fancied myself straight away the minute the ball was coming in. I knew it was going to land in my head. I was just like, please hit the target. Make him work, make the keeper work if he's going to save it. Um, and thankfully, he hit the back of the net. Um, 
so yeah, it was, it was an unbelievable moment, one of the best I've ever had in football. Um, and I suppose it, uh, it's a pity in the in the replay. I had a chance in the last minute, and I should have scored. And that's just that you get a chance in the game, you just have to hope you're going to take it. And I was devastated I missed it to be honest with you because I would have lived off that forever, telling all my mates that you know I scored in every game I played against Spurs, and you know is anyone else out there that's done that kind of thing? But um, you know I know the result was was over. Well, it was two 0 at the time, and it was in the ninety third minute, so it wouldn't have made any difference to the result. But it would have been a great little personal moment again. But then again, no one can take away the goal I scored in the first leg, the first the first game. I suppose it says it all how well you played in the first game that you came out feeling kind of disappointed with a replay at Wembley. Yeah, um, when we said that initially straight after, I think a lot of people were probably like a bit mad or whatever. Like, but you know, you, 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 we would have took that game result before the game, which is perfectly understandable. We would have took that result before the game, but when the game goes the way it is and, and when things are going the way they are. You know, we I just looked like we were going to hold on the whole way. They weren't really creating that many chances in the game. You know, they might have had a bit of possession in the second half um, and stuff like that, but they weren't creating clear good chances. Any any chance they had was kind of a long distance effort. Um, and I just thought we were going to hold out. And if if you're know, looking back on it now, obviously the the, the replay was done and dusted. Now we we probably. As a, as a group of players, the reason we were so disappointed is probably because we knew that was our chance. Um, going to Wembley into a big pitch was only going to play to as far as the strength. Um, and I can tell you for a fact, it's a very, very big pitch when you don't have a lot of the ball. Um, it's a, it can be, it can be Wembley can be one of the best places in the world, but it can be a very lonely place at times as well when you're when you're chasing around um, Christian Eriksen and. Deli Alley and stuff like that. We actually went when the, when they met the subs in the second half of the second game. We didn't know whether Pochettino was trying to take the Mickey over a bit. You <laughs> keep the game was two 0 nearly over. I suppose it was over and done and dusted. And thought Deli Alley and Christian Eriksen. We were just thinking, oh, it's only going to get worse when Harry Kane coming on. You know that kind of thing. But uh, the whole look, we were disappointed. But were we going to win the FA Cup? Probably not. You know. As the club made money out of it, yeah, that's the aim of the FA Cup for the lower league teams. Is to go on a cup run, put yourself in the in, in the media spotlight, and, and and make some money for the club as well, and you know show everyone that we are good players. Um, so the aim of it was 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 what we, I suppose, what what everyone kind of wants is, you know, if someone else said you're going to get knocked out of fourth round and you're going to in a replay against Spurs at Wembley. We would have took that at the start of the season before we played uh, Cambridge in the first round of it. You mentioned playing the Wembley pitch, of course. You've been there before. You won promotion with Grimsby. Yes, it was the third time I played at Wembley. Um, was that was at Grimsby twice. We played in the promotion playoff final and then the FA Trophy final the following week. And then, yeah, it's, it's, it's unbelievable to play there. Look, it's, it's um, you know, I was. Uh, my my kind of age group or anyone kind of older than me grew up wanting to play. Wembley was the home of football. I thought you know everyone. The FA Cup final was one of the was one of the, the one game everybody saw. If that makes sense. The um, you know TV coverage wasn't as, as good as what it was. Uh, I was what it is now. And stuff, uh, um, 
you know, so to, to, to get a chance to play in Wembley, um, you know, it was unbelievable. And to do it three times, there's only my dad said it to me after they came over for the game. They've been over at, you know, quite a lot of my games and stuff like that. They used to travel everywhere in Ireland when I was there. And they come over maybe 10, 12 times a season, probably more over here. Um, and he, he just said to me after the game, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a bit surreal. We've been in Wembley watching you play you know, four or three times in the last four years or three years, whatever it has been. And it's funny, they went back the next day and my brother was playing hurling for Minute, the, 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 the university in the, the Ryan Cup. And he was there, he was at Wembley the night before watching me and he's playing that game the next night. And my dad was at both and he said it was 45,000 to one and it was 45 at the other. <laughs> so um, he just said, just the difference of it all. But he, he just, I think... He obviously it's a proud moment to play at Wembley and stuff like that but I think it's as a bigger picture I think everyone else is very very proud of, of kind of getting to go watch especially my mum and dad going to watch their son um, play in, in one of the best stadiums in the world and you know they couldn't make it over for the first game because my mum had a knee operation but my brother was over there and he was with his girlfriend and my fiance were at the game and, and the three of them said when the ball hit the back of the net after the header um he said they nearly ended up on the pitch. They just couldn't believe what was happening. And my brother said to me after the game, he just said, "You scored a goal against Spurs." And it wasn't just a friendly; like it was a proper game. It was a FA Cup game. It was a real game. None of this friendly. You scored the friendly or anything like that. You know, a real like they just couldn't get their head around it. I still couldn't either. But you know, it's just stuff like that that makes it all worth it. I think. I was watching the game on BT Sports and uh, the commentator called you Padraig Amond. Do, do you find yourself yeah. correcting people a lot about your name? I gave up doing it about six years ago. <laughs> I gave up, um, honestly, I've been in England, I think it's seven or eight years now and and I, and I just, I, I just gave up at this stage because, you know, the, the, even managers and, and players that I've played with, you know, I just, the first thing I said to him was like, "What was like? How do you pronounce it?" I was just like, "Just call me Podge. It's easier." <laughs> Honestly, it save a lot of hassle. Um, it'll save a lot of mispronunciations and stuff like that. So every now and again, it's funny. Obviously, when you when, when you, you score a few goals and, and the different TV coverage is happening, so BT have one way of pronouncing it. Guys, uh, sports when they're when they're when they're doing the. the Soccer Saturday thing and showing the highlights on, on of the games and the goals. They'll have another way of doing it. To be fair to Channel Channel Five, they had the right day for the the highlight package. They actually they rang me before the start of the the start of the season and, and, and asked me what way I wanted to pronounce so they were doing it properly. And the BBC kind of they, in a roundabout way they they got the right eventually because my old friend, the old press officer at Accrington. Um, his wife works in BBC, and um, I think if you, if you hear the coverage of the BBC Five Live from the goal, they're calling me one thing, but then for the rest of the game after that, they're calling me a different thing because his wife said in the uh, she got word to him straight away. You're, you're pronouncing it completely wrong. You need to say it a different way. <laughs> so um, yeah, I've given I've kind of given up, you know, correcting people. I I, I like the fact that people mangle it. Um, they get the name wrong all the time uh, because look when they're getting the name wrong because obviously I'm doing something right because it means I'm scoring goals so 
if they if, if they stop if they stop getting it wrong, you know, I'll I'll have been gone in a big long drought, so I won't have scored for a long time. So um, yeah, we will just keep it going as long as it continues. You can mangle it as much as they want. Of course, in another era, that would have been White Hart Lane. You were going to that was their all ground. Were you watching on TV yeah. when Rovers were playing there in the Europa League group stages? Yeah, I did. Um, saw when Rice scored there, so it would have been obviously the connection that you know myself and Rice have scored um, against <laughs> against Spurs, and and then the other like I think it was was it Harry Kane got his first goal against uh, Rovers in Tala. That's right. Um, and I think yeah, he got his ninety ninth. Um, he got his 99 goal against us, um, you know, and then obviously got his 100 against Liverpool the next two days after, whatever it was, or three days afterwards. But uh, yeah, I remember watching that game, and, and when when Rice scored, obviously I was jumping around the place. I was delighted for obviously all the lads as well. Um, but I remember, I remember honestly thinking at the time, you know, how an amazing feeling that is for for him to score against. Uh, score against Spurs um, yeah that's when when we were at Wembley it would have been nice to score that, take that chance at the end um, just so I'd score two against them uh, would have had one up on everyone I suppose um, but um, you know it, it, you just, it just kind of it shows kind of how far Spurs have come um, in that, and how far Harry Kane has come I suppose in that short space of time um, he was probably he was probably on the way out of the club nearly um, around that time and now look at him he's probably one of the best strikers in the world so things can change very very quickly in football um, and now Spurs like you said they've moved out of White Hart Lane at the minute the new stadium being built and you know they're, 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 they are arguably one of the best sites in club football in the world so it's say for us to, to get a result against the first day and probably beat we'll probably be we probably should have beaten as well it says a lot about how well we perform on the day and to be fair to Mitchell Pochettino, he's been very, very um, complimentary about us in the press and came into us and spoke after the game and just spoke to a few lads as well and just said, look, you're good players, stuff like that. And obviously, it's nice, it's nice, it's nice to get compliments like that from, from, from people who are, who are, you know, I suppose, respected so highly in football. And as I said, that shows that we want, we, we we did, we did well. It wasn't a fluke that we we nearly beat them. And uh, we had Derek Tracy on the podcast, and your name came up actually. Derek obviously respects that you've made a really good career for yourself in England, but he said something interesting that he would rather play for Rovers for seventeen years. There, there are different career paths, but can you see both points of view? Yeah, I can see. I can see both points. Um, I, I played. I think in, I, I played with Derek before the beginning of my career at Rovers. Um, he, um, I think I remember debut and he was he was on he was playing at that time, but he was kind of coming out to the end of his career. And I see where he's coming from. Look, I think the lower leagues in England would have been, from I suppose, from a different generation, wouldn't have been uh, as much appreciated as as what what it is right now. Um, there's a lot of money in the lower leagues over here. Um, it's obviously money has filtered down throughout the, from the Premier League down with, with all the different TV deals. Um, the thing is, look, you look at, 
if I was to play for Shamrock Rovers throughout my career, I probably would have been part time for for half that over half half my time probably. Um, you know, or if I was to play full time, if you're trying to get a career like that, seventeen years in in um, in Ireland, play for anything. I think there's only three teams at the minute that are full time. But if you if you look at in, in England, just you're probably looking minimum 120, 125 full-time teams from the Premier League down to, you know, the likes of Salford and Conference North and stuff like that. So there's a lot of, um, there is a lot of full-time teams over here. Teams are spending a lot of money as well. They are paying lads more than probably what they would get in Ireland as well and things like that. But I can, I can see where he's coming from. I think it's a different kind of generation thing. I would have, looked, when I was younger, I would have been a lot more disrespectful towards the lower league saying oh I wouldn't be doing that but when you actually when you go over and you realise the infrastructure some of the clubs have um, even down to little things like their academies and stuff like that they're full time you know they put up six, seven, eight, nine full time coaches in their academy um, that's even before you get to the youth team and and uh, and, and that's I'm not just talking at League 2 clubs I'm not talking about the Spurs Man United anything like that obviously the higher you go up the you know, the, the more it comes, but I think you just get more recognition in England as well. Um, you know, if if I was to redo my career and stuff like that, I wish I had the season I had at Grimsby. You know, went to the conference for that season at, when I was nineteen. Because if you, the the big thing that, that killed me when I was, I suppose, had that season when I scored thirty seven was I was twenty seven at the time, so I wasn't a kid. But if you do that and you're, you score half the goals, um, because I saw players who were coming from the conference at 19, 20 and scoring maybe five, six, and then up to 10 goals, and they were getting moved to championship teams, Premier League teams are willing to take a chance on them. And then your career, you know, is just ready to take off. Um, was the big thing was the Jamie Vardy thing. Um, he gave a lot of hope to a lot of people the way he'd done it. Um, obviously, he's exceptionally talented and more talented than and anyone else that's, that's come over, I think. Um, but it's 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 it, it's, a, it's a very interesting viewpoint from Derek. And, and look, Derek is someone that uh, went to a lot of Rovers games when I was younger, and Derek was a mainstay in the team for years, and he's been there for seventeen years. So it's it, not saying that it's easy for him to say, you know, I'd rather have seventeen years there because that's what he knows. You know, he probably he, he made a fantastic career for himself in Ireland, but. I don't know whether that's possible at the minute with the with the way the league has been run back home and you know I, I I have so much respect for the league for everything it gave me and stuff like that but it seems like every every year you're just waiting for something to happen and you're waiting for an asterisk to go beside someone's name or points or something like that um, and and any year that doesn't doesn't happen is almost like a success which is disappointing considering how well Dundalk have done in the last few years Cork done last year obviously Rovers with the Europa League as well and they kind of met the breakthrough for it all but it's hard to get past you know the, the, the clubs that have gone bust in the same time as well so um, yeah it is two very very different paths definitely but um, you know I'm, I'm very happy with the path that I've gone um, you know it's I've, I've, I've had a good career over it and stuff like that and and um, 
you know, played a lot of games as well and scored a lot of goals. So it's a career that I'm proud of as well, yeah. But I'm not finished yet. I'm, I'm not 30 yet. So I hopefully can, if I can play for as long as Derry said, I'd be very, very happy. I believe the first game you ever went to as a fan was Rovers against Audra in the 2003 Inter-Toto Cup. Was that the, the home leg? The home leg, yeah. It was, the, it was the home leg. Obviously, I was playing at Rovers at the time. Um, in fact, actually, I think I was at one before that. I think I was out in Santry because Santry was before that, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I was at, I was at a couple of games in Santry because I remember we went over with the with the team um, the first one I can really remember was the, the the European game. But I remember we went over to the Sanctuary with, 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 I think it was my under-11 team at the time or whatever it was. And I remember someone falling and splitting the nose open off the off one of the railings. Um, that's, that's kind of my biggest memory of that one. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the, I remember, the, uh, I remember the, the European game quite well. I remember after the game getting forwards with a few of the players and stuff like that and it was a big big thing for me like you know getting they were players people I kind of looked up to and and kind of wanted to emulate and you know I wanted to, to I wanted to go play in England of course everyone when you're growing up you want to play with Man United you want to play on the best teams in the world and all that but I remember when I when I got to like 13, 14 and 15 and everyone was going away in trials and it just didn't see I didn't you know, for some reason, everywhere I was, I was scoring goals and doing things. You know, that's to win a couple of All Irelands with different teams as well. And I just wasn't getting called away for trials or anything like that. Whether I was too small, I don't know. Um, but then I started thinking, you know what, there's a great chance to make a breakthrough with Chalmers Rovers. Um, there hadn't been that many kids that had broke through at the time. I think Paul Caffrey was the first one to break through for a long, long time from the academy. Um, and I remember setting myself the target. I want to be. I want to be the next one to, to break through and be a regular. I want to be that one. I want to be the next one. And and thankfully, it did eventually get to get to the stage where I did break through. Um, and then became a regular. Kind of in my my second in the second season or third season, and and when they got into the Premier League, um, I was in now the team when um, when we when we got promoted from the first division because, well, I was 17 at the time, 18 of the kid. Um, I was still learning everything. It was all brand new to me. Um, and then the following year, I went on loan to Calera County. And and then when I brought, came back, I broke into the team and saw the coach looking at um, in, in I think it was, I got operated on in November. And then five months later, I was back and scored on my first first touchback against UCD so I remember going to a lot of the games when I was a kid the European one obviously does stand out but that, that kind of gave me the gave me the, the the hope and the want to break through in the, in the into the Rovers team because you could see them down on this big stage all these fans coming to watch them play and it, it, it was it was just brilliant it was brilliant to see I know you're a proud Carlo man and you, you played hurling for Carlo. And I believe when you made your your senior debut for hours, you were just seventeen. You were on double duty that day. It was it wasn't my debut because I remember debut up in Athlone. Um, my debut in Athlone on a on a, on a I think it was a Thursday night or something like that. It was the second game of the season, a third game of the season. I actually hadn't hadn't 
not any of the players, anything like that. Um, I played my first under-21 game because I came straight from the under-16s and Dave Campbell wanted me to play for the under-21s and started before against St. Pat's. That and then all of a sudden I was travelling with the first team the following week to play. So I knew that won the first two games of the season. And I knew nothing else about it. Um, I went into a blind but The second, that was against that loan. And, and then I went back to the 21s for a few weeks. And then my second uh, my second appearance for the Shamrock Rovers was against Kildare County in Station Road in Kildare. And it was about, I think it was a half seven kickoff. And no one knew it at the time, but I'd said hurling for Carlo at three o'clock that day in the Leinster Championship against Offaly. Um, and purely, I'll, I'll tell you, honestly, it was the reason. I, I knew I was going to have to make a choice eventually. Um, I went back, so we, trained, we trained the night before with Shamrock Rovers and the hurling team was training as well. So we drove back down from, from Dublin my dad brought me back down and we went straight in to tell the hurling manager I said look I can't, I can't play tomorrow I said I'm, I'm involved tomorrow and I, I can't play I can't take that risk and I think it was just because probably because I was a young naive country fella he twisted my arm and said look everything will be alright we'll, uh, you don't have to stand in any of the photos before the game uh, we'll get them to we'll get them to print a new programme we'll put, your, put it under a different name we'll put you under properly on the, on the team sheet and all that everything will be fine you know, but just put you under a different name. And I, the more he talked, the more I was like, right, I can't let him down now, you know, because I've been training with them since the previous November. Because um, obviously that's the way the county with the GAA works and stuff like that. So that was all going on. And I was like, oh, I can't let them down now, you know, it's the way he's talking about me. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And, and then, so I just we went out, played the game. Straight into the dressing room, showered into the car, up to Kildare. Um, luckily it was Kildare to be honest with you because if it was anywhere else I would have just not bet the Ireland but I don't regret one bit that I played both of them um, I don't regret one bit that I was nipping from training from one place to go to another um, playing matches on a Friday night and then go playing Ireland on a Saturday and I, I, just, I only got caught after the semi-final we um, we, we played awfully in the semi-final again and we beat them and I scored uh, 2-4 in the game but two goals came in the last minute to win by six points and and then there was loads of celebrations on the pitch afterwards obviously you, you can't just run and hide in the photos and, but there was a picture on the independent on the Monday morning um, of me celebrating the goal because it was a big thing it was the first time Carlo had ever got to a Leinster minor final hurling or football and, and um, it was quite a big breakthrough and because it wasn't one of the strong counties or anything like that so they put a big picture on it and we went up the train Monday night in, um, I think it was in, in Sandyford at the time over Wesley College. And uh, Pat Scully just called me in, into like a different room and just had a paper in his arm. I knew what was coming. I was like, <laughs> I, just knew, I just knew what was coming. I was thinking, how am I going to get out of this? What am I going to say? And he said to me, look, what, what's this? And I said, oh, I had a great game at the weekend. Scored 2-4, you know, <laughs> given all this. And he said, look, Paul, you can't, you can't do both of them. And I said, I, 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 yeah, I understand that. But, like, without being bad or anything like that, I said, I didn't know I couldn't do both. He said, you're telling me now, but no one had told me before. I just played the innocent country fella again. You know, a tick fella, didn't know anything from the country and stuff like that. So I just said, 
And Pat said to me, look, how long is it? How long is left? You know, what's left now? I said, look, I've been going the whole year. I've been training all the time, and it's not affected me. I've not missed any trainings with you. I've not missed any training. Well, I missed a couple of trainings with with the county team and stuff, but they were they were very very. I was lucky at the time. Tommy Buggy was the manager, and he is a soccer background. Um, when he was younger and stuff like that, he'd been over to England on trials and stuff like that. So only for that, he understood a bit. It wasn't, you know, I suppose your typical GA, let's get rid of the soccer and all this. Um, so Pat said to me what's left, and I said there's two games left. Well, there's a minimum of two games left. He said, we'll play Kenny next week in the in the Leinster final in Croke Park. And I said, look, the likelihood is we're Carlo there. Kenny will probably have us. But in the back of my head, all I could think was they said the same day as we said, and everyone was saying afterwards we were the better team that that um, led the semi-finals. Um, and then the, I said, you know, if we lose that, you know, we play the winners a month, so, so it's going to be Tipperary or Cork. So, look, there'll be two games left, I said, and he said, OK, you can finish it out um, and stuff like that. And thankfully, he, he was OK with it because, you know, I think Pat liked me as a, as a, as a person as well and, and, and stuff like that, and he probably gave me a little bit of leeway that way. Um, and yeah, it, it helped a lot because he could have very easily turned around and said, got rid of me then. Um, you know, a lot of people have perception of, of, of Pat, that he went through a lot of players and stuff like that, but he was brilliant. He was brilliant for me personally. He was brilliant with the younger players. And um, I don't know whether he gave me a little bit of extra, um, I suppose, extra attention or anything like that, because I don't know whether it's just because he liked me or, or he saw something there, but... Um, I was very forever thankful that he let me play those last two games, and they were the last two games of hurling. Like I've never played, I've not played a hurling game since. Um, not nipped away from a football match, a soccer match, to, to, to play hurling again. I remember Jason Sherlock did something similar. He needed a helicopter to get the body buffet. It was. Yeah. Was it ever that dramatic with yourself? No, but it wasn't. It wasn't. It would have been a lot easier if it was a helicopter. I think, but. Um, <laughs> It was. It was. Um, wasn't that it was dramatic or anything like that? But but all look all all through my time when I was playing soccer underage with Sam Crawford and that, you know, some of the managers had said, look, you can't keep playing as much as you're playing. Because I was playing hurling, football, everything, county club, the whole thing, and all. And all I said to them was, look, it's not affecting anyone. I'm not. I'm not getting injured. And to touch wood, I, I've only ever suffered one injury in my career. It was crucial ligament injury and I was back in five months from that. And touch wood, nothing happened again. But even growing up and stuff like that, I, I thought all the sports benefited me because it was different stuff that you were able to take from everything. In, in I, People used to say to me, Doctor, you're very good at reading where the ball's going to land. And I was like, yeah, but because I'm playing hurling all the time, you know, the, the ball is smaller, it breaks quicker, so you have to react quicker. So I was like, well, that helps. You know, and, when when I there was times I used to play two and three games a day. Um I you know, I remember playing an all Ireland soccer final one day, um, for Home Farm and four hours later I was down in Carlow playing an under an under fourteen county final for my club in football. So it was it was it was a it was a it was a regular occurrence throughout my underage, definitely, to um to be playing two and three games a day. Um, and to be nipping up and going from either from Dublin in the morning back down to Carlow to play the game or anywhere else across the country wherever the games happened to be you know, with the with the hurling or the football I was always doing it um, we didn't have a helicopter unfortunately we didn't have anyone who was going to give us a helicopter to, 
I think it would have been a little bit dramatic bringing <laughs> bringing a helicopter mm. from Dockerville Park in Carlo over the station. You know, I don't. I think it would have been a bit suspicious as well, uh, considering no one knew anything about it. <laughs> That was Baddy Buffet, that Sherlock went on. That, that's where you scored your, your first senior goal. Was it well, Tuesday night out, yeah. out there? Yeah, Yeah, Jamie Duffy crossed it in from the right-hand side and I, I, I had it in the back post in the furthest goal as you come out of the dressing room. So, so I remember it like it was, um, remember it was like it was yesterday. Um, and I remember that evening coming uh, after the game, coming back into my phone and there have been loads and loads of texts. People were... This, uh, I'm not going to make myself be old, but people were seeing it on the teletext and stuff like that because it wasn't, you know, I don't, there wasn't Twitter or there wasn't Facebook or wasn't stuff like that around where it was freely, you know, the information was freely thrown about. It was literally, you heard it on the radio, you saw it on the teletext what the score was and it was in the newspaper the next day. Um, but yeah, that was that was my first goal for Rovers. Um, it was a, an unbelievable feeling. Um, it was, we won more nils, which made it even even sweeter for me. And it's obviously thrill afterwards. Um, you know, I was just tired. I wasn't thinking any more about about the or anything else apart from the fact that it was the first goal I scored professionally. And no matter whatever happened again, if I didn't score another one, no one could take it away. That I scored, I scored a goal for some goals. In two thousand eight was a good season for you. You were club top scorer and voted young player of the year. So considering you did so well. Going into the first season in Tallaght, was it frustrating to be out of the team a little bit? It was, but looking back now, I'm obviously older now and I can appreciate it a bit more. But I understood, I did understand the reasons why it's tight. You know, pre-season started and I, did, I, I didn't have a great pre-season. Um, you know, and and the lads started, to be fair. I was out with the squad for the first game and I was very, very disappointed. About that, I, I wasn't on the bench this way, and, and obviously Gary Gary Twig had just come in, and Desi had been. To be fair, Desi had a new lease of life under um, under Michael when he came, and at, the, at that stage, after the first game, you know, I was thinking, right, there's a chance here I'll be involved next weekend against um, Sligo and Tallaght because obviously it was a big game, and, and I think it hurt like. It was a big game for me as well because when when I was in the the Rovers under the system, I I was there when I think the sod was turned first. The first year I was going up the Shamrock Rovers, the sod was turned first on on the stadium at Tala, and there was being promised and all. Obviously, you know everything that went on with it. Um, but that was that was where everyone wanted to go. That was that was the the home place. Like everyone wanted to go back there and. And it was a big, big thing for me because obviously it was, it was kind of I was just coming up to the academy and I wanted to stay there and I wanted to stay in the first game and stuff like that. So, but Desi was number one striker at the time because Gary had come in and I think in the first game against um, the first game against Bray, you know, he didn't he didn't do too much um, in the game and you know he was literally only he was only in the squad even in the country probably about a week. He could play a friendly against. Monaghan or Athlone the week before um, so he was only in the country probably a week so it was Desi plus one and then Twiggy just scored that night and then the rest is history himself and Desi built up a partnership that you know was, was unbelievable and it was hard to break into it because you know if I did break in and done well I came in and, and scored a couple of goals I scored against Strada the 
following week, I think, and then scored another couple of goals. And but then I was out out again because if I didn't play well, I was sort of back to the trying test of Desi and Twiggy, who were doing really, really well. So frustrating, I didn't play it, but I understood why I wasn't playing. And Michael tried his best to keep me at the end of the season, but I knew I had to go. And to be fair, he knew I had to go as well to try and make his career for himself. What was it like to play in the friendly Real Madrid in Tala? That was that was a bit surreal, though, to be honest with you. Um, whatever about the, the media, the media over here for the Spurs game, that was a circus back home <laughs> because obviously it was Ronaldo's debut and, and stuff like that, and it was just it was brilliant to play in the game. Um, but the benefit for me being out of the team at Rovers at the time, not starting every game, was that. I started in that game and said the majority of the game, um, you know, and, and it was um, it was it was it was brilliant to play. And you know, they had some unbelievable players out on the pitch that night. Um, you could nearly make a world eleven out of some of them, or out of the squad they had. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just. But the whole thing about it was just mad. I remember Robbo was was captain at the time, and they went up to do the coin toss and. He, I think Alan Kelly was reckoning and he just said to Robbo something along the lines of it doesn't matter whether you win the toss or not they're playing that way or they're playing whatever way they want to play it was part of the contract that we use the football they were going to use they played whatever way they wanted to play at the beginning they had use of this that and the other it was, it was, it was mental it was brilliant great publicity for the for the club um, but I suppose the, 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 the big thing for me was when I came out of it and it's only years later that I realised that when, whenever you know, you um, I joined when I joined a new club over here, and lads are chatting about things. The the law was go back to. Oh, I remember, I remember watching that game, the Shamrock Rovers game, because so something will inevitably I'll bring Ronaldo up somewhere. <laughs> you know, I'll drop him into a comment. We could be talking about cakes, and I'll go, yeah, but I had a cake that time, and oh, Ronaldo was playing against me that night before. Joke, joking was it Ronaldo would do something and, and the lads would be like talking with the best player you've ever played with and stuff like that and against the like Ronaldo's always going to be the best player I've ever played against um, and lads would always go back to him and go I remember actually watching that game they remember watching the game and how well we done in the game and it seems to be a, a, I suppose a common team in my career we're so close to upsetting big teams and eventually it just disappears out it just, just Crush your hopes in the last few minutes. Remember Pat Flynn giving Ronaldo a bit of a kick? A two, and I remember the programme before as well. It was the programme where he said he'd, uh, he, he was laughing. I think he made a joke about, um, you know, he tackled his granny for the ball or something like that in the previous, the programme the week before. I think it was at Sligo, and all the newspapers picked up on it, but obviously no one, I knew what Pat was like, and I think a lot of the fans knew that Pat was a joker as well, so he, was, he, he wasn't, being 100% serious in what he said but I think the media took it literally that he was going to say he was going out to to break Ronaldo up or stuff like this he said he wanted blood or something and uh, I remember yeah he was Ronaldo was running with the ball in the first couple of minutes and I, I think there was probably a collective sigh from the from the the Real Madrid bench and probably an even bigger sigh from their chairman and, and whoever was spending all that money when the tackle went in because they were probably hoping I hope he gets back up from this but yeah um, it, the thing about it was I don't even think it was a foul I think it was a great tackle at the time I think uh, just because it was 
it was it was Ronaldo and stuff like that. I think they just tried to stamp it out early, so he wasn't going to get, I suppose, too rough a treatment in, in what was a friendly game as well. Now your last goal for Auras was a famous one. It was the the winner in the derby, and it was a massive game in the title race at the time. Yeah, we should have won the league after that. Um, that that's probably my biggest disappointment at Rovers that we didn't win the league that year. We had it in our hands, um, especially after beating beating Bowes that day. Um, and again, look, it, it's it's. <sighs> Any Rovers fan that asks them, what do you want? What, what, what would be the best moment in, in your career? And scoring the winner against Bode and Talla, you know, is the highlight of my Rovers career. Um, you know, you, you can't ask for much more than that. And as I said, the biggest disappointment was we didn't go on to win the league. We should have. We had it in our hands. And then we made a mess of it against Cork, I think it was, um, in, in Talla. Um but yeah, it, it, was, it was obviously great to score against Bowes in that game. Um, I came on and um, Michael just said to me, look, go, go make yourself go make yourself a hero. Um, obviously, the ball broke and I just hit it and took a nice little deflection and went past Brian Murphy in the goal. And, and uh, yeah, but it, was, it was brilliant. And the only disappointment for me was I didn't get a chance to celebrate it that evening because uh, I was travelling. I travelled the next morning with the under twenty one to Cork. So I left. I left at ha- like half eight or half eight o'clock the next morning to go down to Cork to play in the under twenty one game because I hadn't been playing much. So um, I remember all the lads at the time were all going out to celebrate, and they were all like, "Are you going out?" I was like, "No, I've got a game at like two o'clock in Cork tomorrow, so I can't." <laughs> um, so that was that was a little bit disappointing on that side, but um, you know it was brilliant. Like there's something I can look back at again to say, and I have a few friends who are both fans. Um, unfortunately, um, from back home, there's, there's in Carlo, there's there's, um, there's a group of them in the next village to mine that have been both fans for years. So I took a lot of pleasure in, in traveling back down a couple of days later and, and rubbing their noses in it. But ultimately, they they rubbed my noses in it again a few weeks later when when they won the league and and. Uh, Obviously, we, we made a mess of it, but look, it wasn't to be. Um, and it was only when Rovers got rid of the dead in myself and went on to win the league and win everything else. You went to Sligo then, and you, you did have a great season. And in fact, you came back to haunt Rovers with a double in the, the League Cup semi final. Yeah, um, I was up to the first, it was funny that my debut for Sligo was in the league, my league debut was against Rovers. Um, and uh, Dyler played in it as well. That was Dyler's. It was after moving the, the the summer before, I think. Um, so he scored. He scored. The, he scored the goal. Like it was a one-one draw. And I remember, I remember after the game, Michael was getting a lot of stick because Desi broke his arm in the game. If I remember rightly, and, and then obviously I started to score a few goals, and then it was it was the whole. Well, he shouldn't have let him go and. You know, it's hard for managing a situation like that as well because he didn't, like I said, he didn't let me go. So it's just like he'd be offering me a new contract and stuff, but it, it was the right thing for me to move. Like, um, and I was thankful that for him as a, was looking at as a human being and a footballer himself, he, he knew that what you have to do sometimes is, is move on to try take a step back to go two steps forward. And yeah, I went to Sligo and things went just, Went started really really well, and even the first friendly, 
and scored a hat trick in the first ten minutes in my first in, in my first game in a friendly, and then scored in the Panda Cup, and didn't score against Rovers the first first game in in uh, in Sligo, and then just it all just kicked off from then. Then I started scoring a few goals, scored against Rovers in Palace, and then I think it was my last two goals for for uh, for Sligo. Or for Sligo and, and last question, as you say, you're you're not even thirty yet, and you you're probably quite happy with Newport at the moment. But sometime in the future, would you consider coming back to Rovers? Yeah, um, of course. It, it, well, not that it nearly happened a few years ago. But Pat Fenton did speak to me a few years ago um, about possibly going back, but it was more of. Um, I was I was just after leaving Morecambe at the time, and I was I was looking at a few different options and stuff. And actually, Linfield had came in and they wanted to, to speak to me and 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 stuff like that. So I actually rang Pat because I knew Pat had played for Linfield and stuff like that. And I wanted to just see what you know his thoughts. You know, did he have any issues when he was up there? I know it was different times and stuff like that, but unfortunately, some people still live in the dark ages and stuff like that. So wanted to bounce a couple of things off him and see what he thought of it um, and he gave me you know, very, very very good advice and stuff like that he loved his time up there and told me not to worry about things if I was to go in that direction but if I was thinking of coming home I would you know speak to him first because he wanted to sign me and I spoke to him a couple of times but it wasn't it wasn't a case of it that I turned him down or anything like that we had a couple of conversations just to see where he was trying to keep up the speed because I didn't want to come back to Ireland at the time. Um, you know, I, 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 did, I didn't. I had options in a few different places, and I was just looking at the options. And I, I, the one thing I always do is explore everything because you just never know what. Don't turn something down straight away because you never know what will happen. Um, but in the end, I ended up signing for Grimsby, and, and uh, you know, things worked out very, very well there. So. I was happy with that, but yeah, I, look, I, I, eventually, yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd love to, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a club that, you know, that I still support, still look for every result. Um, looking forward to the start of the season, stuff like that, and hopefully, you know, Roger is going to have a, a, a good season with them this year, and and get them back to, to if not win the league, but. Close, closer to, to where they were, closer to, to, to I suppose, top of the table um, than what they were last year. He has a very, very good young squad and hopefully he can, you know, he can get one or two more players in um, with a bit of experience and stuff like that to, um, you know, to, I suppose, finish the squad off. They'll, they'll, I'm not saying they're going to win the league on there, but they'll, they'll have a real shout of, of, of doing something good this year. Okay, I'm here with club photographers George Kelly and Bobby Best. So, firstly, I'm going to ask you to remember the first Rovers game you ever went to, and name some of your favourite players back then. So, I'll start with Bobby. Yeah, well, my first Rovers game was in 1957. Believe it or not, I was 10 years of age. I was a long time waiting to go and see them. My mum wouldn't let me go until I was 10. That's the way it was in those days. The crowds were so large; everything went by age. At seven o'clock, you could stay up a half an hour later, etc. When you were seven. So I was 10 years of age, 1957, and it was St. Patrick's Athletic in Middletown. It was in December. I was 10, and I was able to go, and my brother brought me. 
and we got beaten 2-1 the players I remember is, is the old Darcy Bourke Mackey Nolan Keogh Hennessy McCann Payton Hamlet and Ambrose and Tui you know at that time I thought they were it was a fantasy for me to see these players in the real because I'd heard so much about them at home my family was uh, Shamrock Rovers mad my mother was born in Dolphins Barn and she's five brothers and a father that were Rovers crazy so I was born into it I mean my dad was came to centre the city he was from Essex Street on the South Keys and he was a Bohemian supporter so Again, in those days, there was uh, no there was no telephones, so the only communication people had was by letter or visiting. So every Sunday morning, my me, me ma's brothers would visit us where we lived in Cabra, and of course, my dad being a bowls man and them being rovers nuts, the arguments were brilliant, but friendly, you know, very friendly. But I heard all the great names then, Darcy Bourke and Mackey and Hamilton and Chewy. They were just a fantasy to me, though. They were something I fantasised about. I knew they must have been brilliant footballers by the way the talk in the house about them. My mother had my mother had a, a set of statues made ten inches high, eleven rovers players, and they were over the pelmet in the sitting room. Eleven rovers players, green and white, perfect uh, statues. People used to knock at the door to have a look at it. Hey Mrs I hear you have a rovers team over your window, can I see it? You know? That's the way I, but that was my early uh, recollection of the Shamrock Rovers what about you George? Uh, I think it was 1969 um, I can't remember exactly what game it was but I had escaped into so many games down there never except Sean McNulty and <laughs> a few others used to just keep hopping over the wall I'm born and bred in Milltown from Patrick Doyle Road so every Sunday morning uh, you would just see streams of people passing the house and I kept saying to my dad can I go down can I go down today and uh, one day he brought me down officially and lifted me over the gate uh, great memories and Milltown obviously is a very special place in, in my heart obviously being born and bred in Milltown but yeah fantastic so we, we move on to a new era in Tallaght and a lot of the old people from Milltown who never got to see us in Tallaght and include my own father and that it's great to, uh, to, to you know share some of the memories from years ago through our photographs and me and Bobby work very well together some people think we have some rivalry um, no. I would say far from it um, we know one another a long time and even outside of Rovers being photographers we come come across one another at weddings and different things but yeah it's great to be involved in the club I love it yeah yeah I, I say that uh, it was great when uh, George came along I'm, I was doing I'm doing the photographs since in and around Japan born as we did the squad shot and to that was my next question was what's the first game you ever officially photographed at Rovers sorry the first game you ever officially photographed was the 1967 1969 cup final it was the first game that we drew uh, with, with Cork and we won the replay 4-1 I became I just became friends with Liam Toohey shortly before that Liam Toohey worked in at that time in uh, a, an ice cream company in Ratfarnham what was it well, HB yeah. and my sister Mary she bought an ice cream in Woolworths around this time and there was a hair in it, so she complained, being Mary and a woman, I, suppose, I shouldn't say that, but she complained about the, the hair in her ice cream. And that was that, but the next thing, a knock at the door one Saturday morning, and Liam Tui was standing there with a big brown box with an ice cream cake in it, and my mother couldn't believe it. She threw her arms around him, and he dropped the cake on the floor. Was it Min Toops? It was Min Toops. <laughs> <laughs> so she brought him in, of course, and said, look, Liam Tui is in the house, Liam Tui is here. 
this is for Mary, he said, apparently she's got a bad ice cream award. <laughs> so uh, he, of course, has seen the statues over the pen, and he came in, I had a smashing photograph of Rovers when they played Manchester United uh, uh, on, on the back of the China cabinet with a drawn pen. He was delighted seeing it, and he looked... I wasn't there, unfortunately, I didn't see him. But what he said to me, mother, that day was... I'll tell you how I know the date, by the way, because Rovers had played the previous Saturday against Celtic in a friendly in Dalymount Park, and Celtic brought the European Cup with them. So they were after winning the cup. That was in 1967. So he told my mother that the previous week Mick Smith had broken his wrist saving a shot from Bobby Murdoch. And Jimmy Cummins, the reserve team goalkeeper, was going to be playing the next day in Milltown. And he was the only other option for the B team. And he played in goal against Oromio the next day in Milltown. I went out and took a picture of me in goal. <laughs> I to still have it, you know. Yeah. yeah. George, the first game you ever officially photographed? The first game would have been against Limerick, and I remember approaching Louis Kilcoyne, the famous Louis. In fairness, I got on very well with Louis, and, you know, despite everything else, you know, he was approachable, I'd say that. Um, I, I left school at 15 and went straight into, a, into photography in Renlev, working in a lab, and I was itching to get out and take some photographs or whatever, so I approached Louis one day, and he said, yeah you can do the next let you out on the pitch and do the next game which is Limerick and it all took off from then and there was one particular photograph and in hindsight you know you think back I took a photograph and back then you didn't have the luxury of Photoshop or digital photography but I took a panoramic of the ground and was basically just sitting behind the goal and clicking one part of the ground and moving the camera around and multiple exposures and then in the darkroom stitching them all together to get one photograph and it was a lovely wide shot from the pitch side and I showed it to Louis, and he, oh, can I, can you get me a copy of that? Uh, which I duly gave him, and probably I'd say less than three months later, the news broke of uh, Milltown going up for going up for sale. And um, so I, I, I kind of think to myself, Jesus, the bastard used that photograph. <laughs> to, did he, well, I don't know whether he did or not, but I, I felt he probably did because he was quite excited with That's the shot. It was a good because yeah. back then, you know, it would have been probably expensive for him to get an aerial photograph of the ground. Yeah. But uh, you know, but you move on. Um, but in answer to the question, Limerick was the first game, and you know, when you have a passion for Rovers, you know, over the years, myself and Bobby have got some great photographs and iconic pictures that will live the test of time. Yeah. <coughs> and I think you can only get that with Rovers having the passion of Rovers and not only that the, the fan photographs that we, we try an awful lot to get you, you, you know the characters you know how someone's going to respond um, it doesn't always work because some grounds are ground and you're restricting you can't move around and um, we have experienced that from time to time in Tala but thankfully that's a little bit in the past as well but uh, yeah it's, it's a great privilege to photograph it's such a great club and it's fans uh, so I tend to say it's time for a few more family photographs and that's the Rovers way. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's great, yeah. How did your interest in photography begin in the first place? Well, mine very simply, I went to Ballantyre Community School. So rather than mention our school, I decided I would join either the Coral Society or the Photography Club. And Father Jerry Hippel, Lord Reston, formed this uh, photography club. And because we're in the dark, and I thought there might be a few girls joining as well, <laughs> uh, I took it up then. And actually loved it um, and again back then we we worked in a dark room and now I use a program on my computer called Lightroom so things things change over time um, yeah and uh, you know the dark room work was just a passion and then I had a chance 
I went for an interview when I was 15 in Leary's Photo Labs studios in Renale and also Ever Ready in Portobello. And my father says to me, if you get a job, take it. If not, you're going back to school. So I lied about my age and I got the job in the photography. And that's to say, the rest is history. What about you, Bobby? <laughs> I, <laughs> that, I, was, uh, I was the projectionist in the Dublin Cinerama Theatre in Talbot Street. Now, in case anybody doesn't know where that is, it's beside, it was beside McHugh himself, which has gone also, which was beside the Theatre Bar, which is also gone. But they're about six doors from Amy Street Station in Talbot Street. So uh, I worked there for six years as a projectionist. We showed some iconic movies. The Sound of Music was one which ran for 23 months, and How the West was one went nine months. But look, I worked there, and it was killing me because I was only off every second Sunday. So only every second Sunday I could see Rovers. Now, my family had strict instructions never to invite me to a christening or anything that was on a Sunday. Sunday was Rovers only, nothing else. And even when I got engaged, I said to, to, to the missus, I said, don't forget now, Rovers, Sunday is Rovers, don't ask me anything. I wouldn't dare interfere with you and Rovers. <laughs> yeah, but in any event, uh, yeah, in Cinerama, two doors up from Cinerama, there was a studio called Talbot Studios. A lot of people from the inner city will remember it because Tom, Jimmy Meehan was the photographer. He took loads of weddings in that area. He did Dickie Rock's wedding and I was with him on that and he did Eileen Reed's wedding and I was with him on that. And I started to learn with, 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 with Jimmy. So I, well, Jimmy, Jimmy was event teaching me and I bought uh, myself a rolly card camera. A lot of old photographers will remember that. And I went out on weddings with Jimmy and I eventually picked it up myself. Went to Kevin Street, learned the, ba the basics of the chemical area of uh, photography and... Uh, I then went, I, I, I went, I was driving on a, I had a Honda Cub, come up from Cabra where I lived, went by Daly Mount Park, 1968, the, 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 the cup final when they beat Warford. And uh, I was going by into work in Cinerama and the crowds were going into Daly Mount. I was driving down Connock Street and I was nearly crying. I stopped and bought a programme off the programme cell and went into Cinerama, read the programme, Cinerama, that's as much as I got. And I said to myself, that's the last cup final I'm going to miss Rovers area, and I was in bits. So I resigned, I gave me notes in the week after that. I went into the union, the ITGWU, and I put my name down in a corporation and I got a job in the public lighting section. And I was driving a truck there for 14 years <laughs> before I opened the studios in Northside Shopping Centre. But that's the reason, the whole reason was, every, it was terrific being off every Sunday t and going to the country to see Rovers and if they were away, it was brilliant, so never missed a match because it was heartbreaking to miss them. It dropped me through my schooling. I mean, when I was in school, I hated school like most kids, but I used to always say to myself, on Sunday I won't be like this, I'll be in Milltown, you know, with mm. Rovers. Was part of our life growing up. Uh, I met a colleague of yours recently, uh, Maggie O'Doherty, and she was telling me that about mistakes she made as a rookie uh, things you might miss without attention to detail. So I was wondering, did you make any howlers as a rookie, as a photographer? Every week. <laughs> yeah, it, c it, it continues. And uh, in photography, did I make a mistake? Yeah, there was a, a singer called Guy Mitchell who played in the county club in Churchtown once. And there was, I worked in, in an industry as well, apart from photography, I was involved in firearms, legally I might add. But anyway, there was a, a military ship in from America, a training ship, and we brought them, or I didn't, well, they were, they were going to see Guy Mitchell. And I went along with a Nikon F3, <laughs> 36 exposure film in it, and I'm yeah. taking loads of photographs of Guy Mitchell and all these oh, Marines and wow. clicking away, and I'm saying, Jesus, it must be all yeah. film by now. And then I realised, 
Oh shit! Oh, 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 <laughs> no oh, film in the cameras. So you asked me, did I make a howler? Yeah. So uh, any photographer will know that moment where your blood just drains from you, and how am I going to get out of this one? Yeah. So I loaded up a, no a roll of film real quick, and then oh listen, there's just another one, another type of shot I was asked again, and then I'm just kind of getting them all back in again. Listen, let's get another one of them, and I got out of jail. But it it was it was a, 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 a terrible moment. And do do we all make them mistakes? And do they happen week in week out? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, I've done weddings over the years, and people people want you to book weddings. And can you guarantee me photographs? I can't guarantee you anything. Um, you know, anything can go wrong. So when I was doing weddings, I always ensured that people took the photographs beside me. A lot of photographers would stop people from taking pictures, but I actually encouraged them to take photographs as close to me as possible, and not get my arse in the picture. Hang out like a pack. So they're getting the same shot, and I always looked at that as insurance yeah. that if yeah. anything went wrong, and thankfully it hasn't. Great but it was uh, always a comfort to me that you know I knew somebody was there with a camera. And nowadays everybody has a camera, and even the quality of the phones uh, is, is is incredible. You know, so it has changed a lot. Um, it's not a business that today I would start up um, because the money's not there to be made over anymore. Not um, but yeah. Great, great memories. Yeah, absolutely. Any standout mistakes, Bobby? Yeah, yeah, I did. Early in my career, every photograph was black and white at them days. And George after reminded me, in them days, he used to take three rolls, 120 film, and 36 exposures is all you got at your wedding. 20 of them went in the album, and you tried to sell them the other 15 or 16. But one of my early ones, George identified this. It was brilliant. Photography was far better I think before the digital area because you had to use your imagination a lot but in any event I was developing three rolls of the wedding George right. in a tank right? and I came out of the dark room and opened the tank before I put the fixer in now that should have ruined them but this is a lesson to young photographers at that time always wash the negatives before you put the fixer in after you take the developer out because once there's no developer on them the light won't affect them and I banged it shut real quick, got the, develop, the fix I put her in, and I'd say, I couldn't believe it was saved. But if I hadn't, uh, which a lot of photographers don't, they're in a rush, they pour off the developer, pour in the fixer, and that's the thing done. If I'd have done that, that wedding was one of my early weddings, would have been ruined. I'd nothing else, there's no other photograph. But I'll tell you what I did do. I bought myself a Pentax 35mm and I had it on my shoulder, and I always had another, I took two shots of every shot after that, and I always had a backup. I'd always say, wait yeah, for another one, bang, hit yeah. two shots. Yeah, that's yeah. Something, else. Yeah. Well, something that's kind of carried on in my life from the photography, changing up, I'm kind of very, you know, if, if everything has its place on my desk at home, you know, if there's a stapler, it has its particular spot where it goes, even probably when I'm having my dinner, I, I kind of lay things out very distinctively where they are, and that really came from being in the dark room. And a dark room, people think that, you know, you're working under a red light. Well, you did when you were, when you were printing, but when you were developing film, you were in total darkness. And, you know, if you wanted to reach for it, we, used to, we had a bottle opener because they were great for flicking open the old 35mm films yeah. rather than trying to bang them off the edge of a bench. Yeah. The little bottle opener, you just flick it open. So in the dark, you know, that had to be where you, you put your hand or a scissors yeah, or whatever yeah, in the dark. And, I, you know, sometimes my wife would be saying, Will you get feel around. <laughs> yeah, feel your way in the dark. So we're very good in the dark. <laughs> yeah, feel around. Uh, <laughs> What's it like to try and watch the game from your perspective? How much can you take in when you're busy on the touchline? Very hard to take in the whole game, to be honest, because you, you're, you're looking through the camera most of the time, and 
we do work on getting certain images because for, for the program we'd be requested to get certain images be for promotions and things like that. So it's hard sometimes you miss things in the game. Um yeah, very hard to actually follow a game from a from a, a fan perspective. Um, we do get excited on the on the sideline, believe it or not, and I'm sure that, that the linesman hears us throwing a few explicitives every now and then. Uh, but yeah, for me personally, it is hard to follow the game as a fan. Um, some games are easier to do that, particularly where running riot so hopefully we'll get a few of them this year yeah, yeah. I often have to uh, actually shout to the nearest spectator behind me and say who was that what, who, who was that you know what, who got that corner in or who who they hit off you know because we're constantly following the ball you see so you yeah, may not sure. recognise the player you know uh, what my, my what somebody said to me once a few years ago Bobby you say very you don't look like a Rover supporter because you say very cool when you score I said, I have to stay cool. You're waiting to get the next shot to celebrate and thing. But inside, you're boiling up. Yeah, you're absolutely. bubbling. But you're waiting to get the shots of the... Gary Twig was a photographer's dream. Because the shots we got off him scored and goals was brilliant. Yeah, he was, yeah, he was great for turning no, the camera. Yeah. You know, I remember saying to Twiggy as well. Actually, there's one one shot. I think it was Mac Darla Ferris took the photograph of me and Twiggy on his knees in front of me with my camera. And that, that was a game, I think, Twiggy scored three yeah. goals. Yeah. And... I remember when, when he scored the fourth one, I called him over and run, 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 run towards the camera, Twiggy, run towards me. And he says to me, <laughs> next one. And he did. So he was a photographer's dream, yeah, actually brilliant. And we're trying to encourage a, a number of the current squad uh, to do to the likewise because they are just great photographs because the expressions and the, and the joy that you get on the players' faces, yeah. that just runs That's off into the terraces. Yeah. Yeah. And when you see that, when you see that, picture either on the web or in the program yeah. it, just, it just brings back great memories you know and you know we look back in the pictures and you remember that moment of getting them photographs but Twiggy Twiggy was brilliant for that and I, I still laugh to this day because when I said to him Twiggy run over to me and he says next one and he did I got a smash to when we won the, uh, the, the game in, 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 pra- in um, Belgrade after the match finished at the final whistle he ran onto the pitch with his arms up in the air and got smashed shot of Twiggy the number nine the famous number nine on the scoreboard in the background is that the cover of Tata Time I believe yeah. it is that's, that's on that yeah it is but that was, that's one of my favourite photographs now yeah. what are the best conditions you like to work in? the best conditions I prefer I prefer to work in uh, no, wind, no wind whatsoever no sun whatsoever a nice even cat, maybe a, a hazy cloudy day overcast day with the sun getting through it but not not creating shadows no shadows yeah because the sunlight as much as it's lovely to sit out in the sun when Talisadum is covered half in shadow and half in sun it's a photographer's bloody nightmare um, because you're forever you know I mean you, you can put your cameras as I say on automatic it's you know I drive a manual car so my camera's manual as well but it's just so difficult in very sunny conditions it's okay if the sun is high in the sky but if we have an afternoon kick off and the, the west stand is covering half the pitch it's really difficult um, Tallet is forever cold and tonight you know we're, we're, get, we're getting very well wrapped up with woolly hats and gloves and everything because you know you hear people it's freezing trust me when you're sitting down on the edge of the pitch it's a lot bloody colder um, so we, we try our best to keep it as warm as we can uh, you know, no photographer likes shooting in the rain, and we have had some horrendous nights up here when you're going home, and not only are you trying to dry out your yourself, but you're leaving cameras near radiators to try and dry them out, and mm. you know it it creates its own. Particularly if you want to change a lens or anything, it's a nightmare in the rain. So in answer to I, I would concur with Bobby on that. Yeah, definitely an overcast. 
evening. You know, no, no cloud. Or okay, sorry, yeah, just yeah. a bit of cloud doesn't bother us because the, the light is even. It's much easier, and you can concentrate a, yeah. lot, a lot better. Yeah. So, so it's not too bad if you're doing a wedding because you're in control. You make all the shapes and, and the poses. You can put them with their sun, their back to the sun. It's fine. You put in fill and flash, but not footballers. They won't look. They won't decide to turn to you in the in the proper sunlight on their back. You know, they want it all on their front, and that's a, that can be a nightmare. Uh, what's the most dangerous ground that you've worked in and have you ever been targeted by opposition fans? I was targeted uh, uh, by Bohemians fans. We were playing a match there in the uh, mid-90s. We were winning 3-1 and it was late in the game. We two men sent off, one earlier and then one late in the game. Farley was their manager, if you remember, a chap called Farley. And he wasn't playing, he was injured, he was sitting in the stand. But we had Ray Wilson over for that match from Australia, who was at that time half owner of the club. It's a good while ago, and uh, we we uh, we were winning three one. And I said, "I go over and get a shot of Ray. He's up the stand because he'd be very happy with this to score three one." And I went over, and I was shooting one of the long lens from the sideline where the players come out at Daly Mount. At, uh, uh, and next of all, they started look at that Bobby Best, that bar, just standing here. Look what he's doing, all trunk uh, plastic bottles. So a policeman come over to me and he says, You'll have to stop doing that. You say, I said, Sorry, I'm not. She said, They think you're photographing Farley. I said, I'm not. I'm, I'm photographing one of our directors. I said, He's in the box, he's home in Australia. So he says, Well, you'll have to stop it because it's dangerous. So as he turned his back to cop, I took another few shots and I left her at that. But it, it, was ta- it was on the radio then the following Monday. It was all over 104, I think it was, that uh, Bohemians fans were saying, Bobby Best, Bobby Best, make the show over on man, you're taking the photograph because they're winning 3 1. So I got on to the, I rang it up and I said, Look, I don't have to celebrate because we're beating you 3 1. I said, We beat this loads of times. So why would I want to pick one particular match to celebrate? Our dire- one of our directors was in the box and I said, That's, why, that's who I was photographing, Ray Wilson, not Farley. I've no interest in Farley. You know, I I got a lot of stick on uh, on, on, on social media over that from those fans. Calling, saying they were going to come up and whitewash my studio and spray paint the studio, stuff like that. I got another one when <laughs> Russell. We scored uh, we scored an, e- an equalising goal in the last seconds against uh, Wayne Russell was playing a goal. We were losing one 0 and Stephen Grant nodded in a winner in the last seconds. Now the crowd was in the Connock Street end at this time. That was open. And the flares went off, and Stephen ran over. Wayne Russell was in my way of getting a good shot, and Stephen runs to the crowd. So I stepped onto the pitch, got a few quick shots of him, and Wayne Russell came over and pushed me off the pitch. Said, Get off the pitch! So, I said, so if you would be more concentrating on the ball as you are pushing me, I said, you might have saved that. I said, you know. But after the game, he came and he uh, apologised to me. But it was carried in the papers the next day. Robert equalised in the last minute, and Bobby Best got into a scuffle with the Bohemian goalkeeper, Wayne Russell. <laughs> that was nothing. Was not. After the game, he apologised to me coming off the pitch. I'm sorry about that. He said, I didn't really mean it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, George? No, I've never had any. You get, you get a bit of slagging, all right, because you might have, well, it's not that you might, but you'd have the, the Rover's Crest on our, on our vest and what have you. But certainly when I'm going into Daily Mountain, that because we have to go through the official entrance, and in most cases it's probably through the bar, yeah. which are gear, I definitely wouldn't have my colours displayed. No. I mean, I, I'm smart enough not to, be, to try and draw any aggro on yourself when you don't, don't need Absolutely it. No. Um, and in some grounds, yeah, you might just be a little bit cautious. And sometimes we would carry our cameras, and we're, we're on radio rather than TV, but we would carry the camera and the, the monopod, and it might be over our arms that were, our arm is covering the crest walking in on a jacket or anything like that. But yeah, it's just a little bit of street savvy. But no, I've never been targeted in that sense other than 
you know, your Rovers wanker or whatever, <laughs> which you get from the terraces yeah, anyway. But we're, 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 as, we're as good as giving it back anyway, you know. <laughs> Have you ever had run-ins with a referee? Uh, I don't recall a run in with a referee other than, you know, um, you know, can you move down behind the goal? And Drahad, I was asked once, I said, well, there's less room behind the goal down there than there is in the sideline. Um, it's so, cause some of the grounds are very restrictive, uh, yeah. you know, where you can yeah, move. Yeah. But no, I've never had a run in with the, with the refs. In fact, most of, most of them are very friendly towards yeah, us. I, I was once sent to the dugout to change my jacket because it was I wore it in black. And it was, it, it, the referee said it was a bit like the Rovers. I wore it in purple at the time. And one of the lights, he said, it looked so he just came over. The lights might come over and says, well, do you mind putting on a, a yellow top, you know, because uh, the referee says, you look like it could be a player in that colour. The bl- if you remember, we had the black tracksuits. That's what, was, that's what I was wearing at the time. This was before we were, it became compulsory for us to wear the, uh, the bibs. The bibs that we're wearing now, you know. George, yeah, and, George and I wear the same bibs. The the yeah. And just for all the fans to know, the, the, the bibs that both me and Bobby wear have Juventus on it, and we acquired them when we played <laughs> Juventus in Modena. <laughs> and everybody remembers the lashings of rain. It was so wet. And after the game, we were taking them off, and in fairness, when we they're, they're great, they're great bibs to be honest, because they have little pockets on the front or zips, so you can put your phone in, and if you wear glasses, taking photographs, which yeah. I do, and um, they're very handy. Where the FAI bibs, they're they're a, a pink one, and it's like just a little pullover. You can't get at your pockets yeah. or anything. There, and you know, I don't wear them because uh, it's not practical. It's, not, it's not to do with the colour. <laughs> oh, I used it. But yeah, we 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 um, got them in in. in at Juventus and after the match we were supposed to return them but given that it was very bad weather we decided we'd try and keep a little bit dry so we kept them as a memento <laughs> a funny funny thing actually when we got back th- there was numbers on the back on the back of Bobby's it's 50 I forget yeah. my, I think mine might have been 41 or something and Mark Lynch sent me an email when we got back he said uh, what number bib had you got and I went oh jeez Juventus are looking for their bib back and I says I don't know it Mark why and he says oh he says is this you and Mark had actually taken a photograph of a photographer taking a picture of Del Piero and the photographer was kneeling down and from behind it, it would have looked a little bit like me but it wasn't but yeah, I said oh yeah. thank Jesus oh, we're not getting caught robbing the bibs sorry acquiring the bibs um, but yeah they're great and they bring back great so memories okay. yeah brilliant so that's, that's why we wear them distinctive colours because um, they're, they're very practical for us yeah. George, you did the, the squad photo this year, and then I was Joe Castrain had his eyes closed. as I was one. But yeah, any yeah. any funny memories from team shoots over the years? The team shoots are actually good crack. And in fairness, this year's was very difficult to to get, and it's not the most iconic one that we've done because the sunlight that morning was fierce, and you can see the sunlight coming across from. And again, we go back to what we said earlier on: photographers hate sun. You know, because the photograph has to be taken where it's taken each year to keep the, it consistent. You know, ideally you'd love to move it around into a shaded area and you wouldn't have squinting of the eyes. Very difficult to get a full squad to say, okay lads, I'll close your eyes yeah. and then open at the one time. Because yeah. sometimes they might open and be like something with pinky blinders. You know? That's um, why I'm so because you're bound to find somebody has yeah, their eyes closed. That's why I take a lot of pictures, a group shots particularly. Yeah. There's always, there's always going to be one. And, and that's you know it, it works some year and some this year yeah. isn't personally it's not the best one but you know it's a, it's a, it's a squad picture you see you have no choice by where to take it you know you have no cho- yeah. it's one 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 location you can take it against the shamrock rover sign and the stand you don't get an option to switch it around a lot of photographers might say put that sun on their back which is 
the best option if you can do or it. No, or no, so But you know, you don't get an option yeah, for the for the squad shot. You've got to take it in front of the stand, which it looks terrific in front of. Yeah, the stand. when I was doing that chat this year, I was saying, Jesus, every time you're up in tally, you're already getting pissed on with rain, or you're freezing cold. Yeah. And here today, do the squad yeah. photograph. It's glorious sunshine when I don't want it. <laughs> so what can you do? It's just. But you just have to you have to adapt, you have to move. If the job has to be done, you just get it done. Um but yeah, that's that's the squad for grass. And the players are in fairness, they're great for that. It it now the club actually have a specific day dedicated or morning or hour or two for the photographs and it's great where before. Um what was the other hands to do the player, uh, manager we had up in Wesley College, we went up to do the photographs. And we were waiting nearly two hours to do the pictures. Oh, the previous time was there? Yeah, we managed one. We won in Cove. No, Cove. It's kind of oh, Scully. Scully. Yeah, Pat Scully. Sorry, kind of in my head. But we were up in Wesley College waiting to do the photographs. We were waiting around for an hour. And then when it was time to do the photographs, he comes down and he says, Right, will you take my picture for us? I'm in a hoodie. Took his photograph. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. gone. You're going. Shocking. Holy Jesus. But thankfully, we've moved much more professional. There was a time, I have to say, that the managers took a real interest yeah. in the squad shot. Yeah. And they would a lot an hour. I could get an hour to, to do yeah. the squad shot plus the headshot. The likes of Mick Bourne, uh, Pat Bourne, Liam Buckley, and Damien Richardson in particular. Damien Richardson, before I took the squad shots, would say, Before I think about me, let me have a look. And he'd walk out and look at it himself to see that his players looked right. But in fairness, the, 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 Before you the whole background team now are Brazard and McPhail and oh, they're they're brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. absolutely yeah. fantastic yeah. and they'll accommodate because uh, there was a recent event where we were going to do something around 12 o'clock and I had something shortly after that and I asked any chance of bringing it forward and they made calls okay. and they brought it forward so they're brilliant and most approachable uh, and it's, it's a great it's a great oh, working it's a great working yeah. yeah. have any former managers or players refused to cooperate? funny enough Stephen Kenny was the most oddest one ever. Um, when we were doing the photographs, we had all the trophies here, yeah. and he refused to get in the team photograph with the trophies because he said he didn't win them. And we said to him, "Well, the club won them." He said, "But I didn't win them." So we actually took, and if you look back on some of them photographs, we took photographs, and the photograph with Stephen Kenny in the squad picture, there's no trophies, and then we took with the trophies, but no Stephen Kenny. So maybe there's a message in that. Any funny exchanges with a Mr. Tony O'Dowd because he always looked away from the camera? Yeah, I had many of them with him. I was constantly at him, keep screaming his name at him. He always looked away from the camera. And I've never got a shot of him looking at the camera. Never once, you sure. know. He just won't. And he came down, he came to Northside Shopping Centre. He was being sponsored. When the sponsorships were starting, this would have been the 1998 or whatever. Uh, and he, he came to Northside because the, the wallpaper lads were, were sponsoring they're in the club who's that wallpaper guy Keynes Keynes wallpapers and they had to shop in Northside shopping center. so I was, ta- I was going around to various locations who were sponsoring the players with the players taking a picture of them in their jersey against the shop so even in this, this shop I, stu- I, I begged him to look at the camera now Looked, he looked sideways, looked up in the air for the, the shot in front of Keane's wallpapers with the goalkeeper's jersey on him. Yeah. Never, he never did yeah. it. We had him on the podcast actually explain. He says uh, uh, when he was at Pat's, the squad photographer kept shouting at him to look at the camera. Yeah. Even though he only looked away for one second and he was screaming at him. And he said, right, I'm not looking at the camera anymore. Ah. And then it became a thing where every single year, every photo, 
you wouldn't look at the camera. So that, that's when it started. That's a typical case of photographers yeah. who just haven't got it what it takes. Because the one thing you've got to do is get on with your subject or your client. Very important. You get you really won't get the photographs you want if you're going to be bossy or acting it like that with them. There's absolutely no way, isn't that true, it's George? That that goes even. It doesn't have to be just footballers. Yeah. You know, like over the years, photographers sometimes might have to cover a wedding for another photographer. Sure. Uh, the photographer, I won't say double book, but I've had occasions where photographers say, "Can you do? Can you do a, a wedding for me?" I said, yeah, I'll do that. And the bride and groom know I'm doing the wedding. Oh, yeah, yeah, I told them. And I turned up at the bride's house one day. And who are you? Uh, I'm George, a photographer. So I spent the next 10 minutes trying to get my character to build up her confidence that mm. I'm doing your job. And then she had a go at me over the phone. And I mm. said, well, I got a phone call yesterday to cover your wedding. So, yeah. you know, I'm here. To, I'm your photographer. As a transport, by the end of the day, they were absolutely chuffed. Yeah. But right. it's... You couldn't blame anybody for that. So, you know, the, the fact that he looked away in the camera, there's people that are just yeah, shy and they'll never look at the camera, it's very yeah. hard. He never explains to me why he didn't. No, but no. Uh, it, it's a lesson, it's a lesson for uh, younger photographers, you know, that, uh, that you've got to get on with your client. And the best compliment you can get, and you should see it in all your photographs, someone should say to you, God, you, you can tell you get on very well with, with, with the subject by looking at the photograph. You know, I was I was mainly a wedding and portrait photographer, and it was very important that those people looked like they were having a good time, enjoying the photographs being taken. Uh, for both of you, there was a period of time where you stopped getting involved in robbers. Did you lose interest, or did other events in your life take over? Uh, personally speaking, other events in my life would have been my family and two young kids, and you know, Sundays were devoted to them for a number of years. Uh, Work-wise as well, as I said, I worked in the, in the firearms industry and that took me away an awful lot. So, you know, in, through life you, you, you drift away, you might have drifted away and not gone to the games, but your heart was still there every week, I can assure you that. And then it reached a point where, you know, one, one morning you get up to go into the bathroom, the door is locked and you realise that your kids have grown up and it's time to, well, it's time for me to start yeah. going back to what I enjoyed uh, and getting myself back into back going in back into rovers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the photography didn't didn't uh, suffer during them periods of times. I still was working doing jobs on photography as well, but I didn't uh, cover some games for a number of years. But uh, yeah, that's I think I think anybody would in, in any walk in life will find that you know sometimes their interest or sport may take a backseat for one reason or another. But that was mine. Basically, just me kids growing up on a Sunday and or a Friday, whatever the, the day was, you know. Well, I played, I played soccer myself in the junior leagues when I was younger, and uh, it was always Sunday morning football. I'd, I wouldn't sign for a club that played in the afternoon because uh, Milltown or, or whatever Rovers where was where I'd be. So uh, many years I played on a Sunday morning, but the, the thing about that was the, the lower leagues played Sunday morning, the top leagues would have played in the afternoon. The AOL, fantastic league it was at the time. When I was a player, it was it had the looks of East Wall, Begsborough, uh, and um, you know, what else is Glenmore Celtic. These were all top quality sides. So for a couple of years, I decided I would join, I'd start playing in that area of, of football. So I joined the club that was playing in the first. It was called the First Division at that time. It was Rock Mountain. I spent a few years with them because I wanted to give it a go, playing playing at the higher level in junior football against my father, Lord bless my poor father, he was a manager of Liffey Wanderers, the old Liffey Wanderers, many, many years ago. My father died in 1967. But uh, 
playing against Livy Wanderers was a great team for me. A great uh, just because uh, my father had had played for and managed them years and years previous to that. So that was the only reason. I took a couple of years to play Sunday afternoon football, but it didn't stop me going to the weekend, midweek games or that. You know, but uh, just a couple of years to play when I was in my prime. So <laughs> that wasn't for long though. <laughs> Do you have a favourite ever Rowers photo that you took and one that you didn't take? One that I didn't take of Rovers would be yeah one that I didn't take in the Nazis when we didn't win the cup we never won the cup in the Nazis. I have to say my favourite one goes back to Gary Twig again not the one that I mentioned earlier on but the actual first goal in Tala Stadium um, that to me is, is an iconic moment because the club finally got it home and to capture the first goal up here. I remember actually that night very well, the 13th of March, because I walked across the pitch and there was no East Stand. And as I walked across the pitch, I got memories of my father and I actually cried walking across that pitch. And over on the far side, it was just a little press box and I think Con Murphy might have been over there. Or it was a temporary stand in. And as I got underneath that, because uh, I think it was raining and anyway, it was, yeah. And tears were coming down my eyes because I was thinking of my father that I'd love him to be here. So I remained on that side because obviously you get all the crowd in the background and Alan Kelly was, was, was the ref and if you look at that photograph and it's 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 down in the shop as well where Twiggy's on the on the torn and captures it. Just as I was about to take that Alan Kelly's running through the shot and I said, Don't fucking stop now. Keep going. and he just ran enough out of that shot to capture. If he had stopped I wouldn't have got that moment. And does, does that moment, Bobby, you know what I'm talking about? When you take that photograph and you know you've know got, you've got it, it. Yeah. but you're saying to yourself, tell me the exposure's bang on. Sorry, tell yeah. me it's feckin' yeah. sharp. And, you know, in the rain there, and you pull that back up on the screen in the back and you go, oh, fucking deadly. Yeah. I have it. To me, everything the club has been through and to capture that moment that night for me, that's my favourite photograph, without yeah, a doubt. Yeah, I, I really delight with that sense. picture. And uh, yeah, so any photograph, what's, the, what's my favourite photograph that I didn't get? I got one very similar again of Twiggy when he ran over the, in Tally here to the Bowles fans and slid in his arse when they were all thrown down bottles and everything at him. Sportsfoil, Dave, Dave, Dave uh, Mar got a photograph and he was in directly in line with Twiggy. I got one further down the pitch, a similar shot, but I really like his one because um, Twiggy's sitting and he's right behind it. It's, it's framed nicely. So yeah, that would be uh, a photograph I really like that I didn't take. And finally, have you ever won any awards for any of your robbers related stuff? I've never put, it's never been put into any competitions. No. I've never actually put it in. No, never, never submitted. It's never, uh, I don't think photography is a place for competitions because it's how you perceive things. If I perceive, I might perceive something totally different to you or anybody else. Uh, I, in my early days in the studios in Northside, I, I entered a few competitions, Kodak Award competitions, and I won a few of them. So I stopped when I won one or two. I could, I showed I could do it, and I never bothered anymore. I don't think it's, I don't particularly no, go along with the competition. I've never entered a competition yeah. for any of these photographs at all because it never really appealed to me. Uh, and in fact, even now to this day, I actually teach photography and mm. trying to share all the knowledge that I've learned over the years. And I don't do it for any reward. I have a little club in the Dundrum area, and people are welcome to get in touch and come along and learn. Um, I'd even challenge somebody that I'd shoot your wedding on an iPhone. Yeah. Because it's not generally, the equipment obviously is a big part of it, 
but it's how you how you approach the job and how you frame the pictures and set it all up. And to me, I, I would feel confident enough that I could do somebody's wedding on an iPhone or a phone. Um, but no, I have never entered my photographs in any any competitions, and I don't particularly feel that I that I want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm more than happy to see them published and 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 there. Mm-hmm. And you know, picture credit is fine with me. I mentioned earlier on some people kind of think that myself and Bobby have a lot of rivalry with one another, but I can assure you that couldn't be further from the truth. As myself and Bobby say, football loves us. So some fantastic content there from the prof, as always, and uh, Podge, uh, Podge fell, fell fell of Scully there, prof, what did you think of that? That was the best part, I thought, yeah. He was snared, wasn't he? Because I was dying to ask him what Scully would have thought of this whole, you know, trying to do two sports at once, and sure enough, he caught him out in the end of it. I'm sure didn't we have a former player as well I won't name any names but he didn't really make any uh, appearances under Michael O'Neill but he was caught playing Astro Turf apparently and he was a uh, Turf Dove over Rovers I'm know. really sure that was the case yeah but Rockdale of course ended up taking Spurs to a replay at Wembley and they lost 6-1 last night but they have Ryan Delaney in the team so another League yeah. of Ireland link there he's a, a league winner with Cork so we've there's, there's definitely a, a connection there another link Man City were knocked out of the cup by Wigan managed by Paul Cook and of course good he old. took Podge to Sligo in 2010 good old Cookie good gaffer in fairness two cups with Sligo I think was it two, two FAA cups never won the league yeah had a go with Pep as well didn't he had a go with Pep yeah there was nearly a strainer in, in, the, in the dressing room as for George and Bobby Fantastic stories from the two of them. Our two snappers. Two dedicated, fantastic servants to the club, we got to say. And like it, like like we said before, Carl, we know there's a sign, alarm bells go ringing off when we see George checking in the teller. We yeah. know there's a, a new recruit on the way, but it's fantastic servants for the club. And I think we're, we're genuinely lucky to have them because anyone else, they charge you through the nose. And these guys are doing it purely for the love of Rovers and I have to say big shout out to George Kelly for snapping Colin Bannis as my mum is from Colin Bannis in Milltown and I sent her all the photos that George took of his hometown and the home of, of Shamrock Rovers of course Milltown and uh, it brought her back and made her quite emotional looking at her her childhood home covered in snow so fantastic photographs there from, from um, George Kelly yeah I've absolutely thoroughly enjoyed that interview so, on Wednesday evening, the FAI made the decision to call off all 10 games this week. Uh, our game is going to be refixed for Monday, March 19th with Limerick. That's the bank holiday weekend. Yeah, which coincidentally, Bowles are playing Cork away on the same day. So the train should be good, crack. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, they're going to have to segregate the train. It would have been good to have our, keep our momentum going into this game. Or you could look at it the other way. Would there have been a backlash from Limerick having lost 8-0? Yeah, it's, it's it's up in the air really, isn't it? I mean, they would have been expected to get a result against us. A draw, a draw or a win after getting spanked 8-0. But I honestly could not see us losing that game. I, I reckon we would have went up. And, and a, a nice a clean sheet and maybe a 3-0 win. Plus, I'm still... My main motivation was to get up and get me drinks that Mr Maloney promised me. Yeah, he always gets shandy, doesn't he? Yeah, it's going to be a couple of shandies, all right. That's going to be four games in 11 days now. Four games in 11 days. 
And do we have the squad to compete with that? I mean, we've got 21, 22 players now, 23 max, I think, and some young guys. If we can, if we if we need to depend on them, but I I'd be happy enough with the squad. Yeah, and just to note, uh, Irish Rail are offering refunds if you book the train to Limerick for the Saturday. And yeah, you get your full refund there. And Limerick said any ticket spot on nine will be valid for the refix game. And interestingly, uh, nine of the ten Premier Division clubs do online ticket sales now. Only one doesn't. Can you guess who it is? I'm gonna say. Oh God, uh, balls. No, it's actually Dundalk. Dundalk. Yeah, everyone else does it. Mm, yeah, because they sure they don't like the riffraff going into their stand, don't they? Twenty quid. I'm, did you hear that cork? I'm nearly sure they were gonna charge twenty quid into a stand. Yeah, that's 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 madness. And there's been some sort of protest from the fans and the the Turners Cross faithful. So, I mean, twenty quid is maximum amount they should be paying into a league of rolling ground, and that's a, that's even a stretch. Of the, I mean, fifteen quid is, is is perfect, you know, considering the facilities that. Uh, are not up to scratch let's, let's, let's be honest bar Tala bar maybe one or two more so Gary as we said the game's called off so there's no game to preview there's no starting 11 and predictions and you always get to do the rally cry at the end but you're not here so I think I'm free to do this now myself am I? you're feeling patriotic are you? yeah so here we go right we travelled to Cork Limerick and Waterford all in the same month Three terrifying trips down south. The Lucia Rowers take on ghastly goalkeepers, creepy cultures and zombie clubs, risen from the dead, only to be inhumanely quarantined in a terrible ten-team league. But fear not, because we shall slay Count Caulfield in the Turner's Cross Cauldron, strangle those spooky Shannon Siders, and bring a mysterious mist of green upon Ireland's oldest city, leaving them petrified and perilous. Keep on hoping, folks. And let's do the Monster March. I was working in the lab late one night When my eyes beheld an eerie sight For my monster from his slab began to rise And suddenly, to my surprise He did the match He did the Monster Match The Monster Match It was a graveyard smash He did the match it caught on in a flash. He did the match. He did the monster match. From my laboratory in the castle east to the master bedroom where the vampires feast. The ghouls all came from their humble abode to get a jolt from my electrode. They did the match. They did the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. They did the match. It caught on in a flash. They did the match. Zombies were having fun. The party had just begun. The guests included Wolfman, Dracula, and his son. The scene was rocky, all were digging the sounds. Igor on chains, backed by his baying hounds. The coffin bangers were about to arrive with their vocal group, the Crypt Kicker Five. They played the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. They played the match. It caught on in a flash. They played the match.